Well, surprise, 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 my little Docalos. Welcome to a very special episode of the Documenteers. Yeah, don't worry. It is still Herzog Month. We're just giving you a little extra this month. This upcoming Tuesday from the drop of this episode, we will still be releasing the episode I did with Drew on the the Werner Herzog made for German TV documentary, The Great Ecstasy of the Woodcarver Steiner, about a long jump skier or ski flyer who carves wood, though he doesn't do it very much in that movie, which you can watch that on YouTube. But this movie, Angela joins me for this one because, folks, we went to the movies. We did this before with Won't You Be My Neighbor, and we like it. We like doing this. We like dropping the new shit right on you. And because this movie is so new, I just want to emphasize spoiler alert because this is a brand new movie. We're talking about Tim Wardle's film that should be in select theaters right now. His documentary, Three Identical Strangers, about three brothers that were separated at birth, found their way back to each other. But the reasons why they were separated is some wild and freaky shit that you've got to watch this movie that you probably wouldn't believe it unless you had it all laid out for you. So if you're at all interested in seeing this movie, I would recommend going to see it. Because if you listen to our episode on it, we will spoil it for you. But if you don't care, which many of our listeners do not, then c'est la vie, uh, head forth into this episode. But Angela and I, well, this isn't uh, based on any script or notes. Uh, it's more conversational because we're we're coming straight up off our hearts because we sat in that theater. And usually at home, we're sitting at home and taking notes and getting all analytical. And we're analytical in this, but we didn't want to distract from that theater going experience. So a lot of this is off the cuff. It's very conversational. Not as clip happy as other episodes that you hear of the documentaries lately. But don't worry, it is Herzog month. So Werner Herzog does make an appearance in this episode. Uh, I'm happy to say. I'm excited to drop this surprise episode on you and uh, a little bit extra for a brand new movie out. So let's get on with it, all right? All right? We give this to you because you've been so good this year. You've been so good listening to the documentaries. I just want to say we love you and we appreciate you. Now let's get on with this film, this brand new documentary that you can go to your theater and see now, hopefully, Three Identical Strangers by director Tim Wardle. All right? Let's keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet, 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. As I reached out to knock on the door, it opens. And there I am. His eyes are my eyes, my eyes are his eyes, and it's true. And then the story went from being amazing to incredible. And that's how you're starting. Sound like you're taking a shit in God. Shamco Studios, Bob. I feel like I could always take a shit. <laughs> well, I mean, you do pretty much anyone's house we ever go to. Or any restaurant we ever go to. Sometimes at the store. Yeah, there's some places <laughs> I try not to, like an airplane. I don't want to shit on an airplane. 
No one wants to do anything on an airplane. Yeah, much like be on it. Like even be on an airplane. (laughs) This is an exciting episode. This is a super exciting episode. It's a super secret surprise episode. I know. I feel like everything's blocked out for the next few months, and I don't know where this is going to fit in. I'll probably just have to throw this up when it's ready. Just like on a special rando day? Probably just be an extra. We're scheduled up. so exciting. We're we're pretty booked up on the documenteers up at least to the end of October. Because I know we watched Mr. Rogers, and then we did that as an actual episode, but these ones that we actually see in the theater... They are kind of separate from everything else that's happening. That's true. And stylistically, they got to be different because when we go in, you don't want to sit there and take notes while you're watching a movie. So we're getting the experience of the movie, the full experience, because we love going to the movie theaters. We went to our fancy schmancy part of town here in Nashville, (laughs) paid like $40 for a lunch that wasn't, that was pretty good. It was pretty good. It was a good lunch. I guess $40 nowadays does not seem like that much for two people. I think it was like $32. It's seven. Oh. Yeah. That's somehow worse. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But I think based Uh, on what we got, it seems too high. Because we got small meals, or at least in theory we were. Yeah, but we got fancy coffee drinks. Yeah, yeah. Fancy coffee drinks are always more expensive than food. And then I sat there and bitched for 15 minutes about (laughs) the socioeconomic status of everything around us. I thought it was very interesting. Well, I appreciate your patience. (laughs) I I think our listeners don't realize, and of course we do have listeners who know me personally. Yes, and me. And they know. They know where I go. The way I think about things, what sets me off, what gets on my fucking nerves. Yeah. And what gets on my fucking nerves is fancy bullshit. (laughs) You know it. Yeah. I know it. And I think I have a very good, valid social political reasons for doing it because I think a lot of bullshit is just a fucking facade and that people, maybe their intentions might be good, but are perpetuating um, a class divide yes. in a lot of ways. I don't expect people to be like me. I just want to have a conversation is all I'm saying. And if I get kind of worked up in that conversation, don't take it personal. But that's not what this show is about. Not at all. This show is about documentaries because we love documentaries. And we like we like information. And we like being entertained by true stories. That's why we uh, talk about documentaries. And like, no spoiler, We also like being surprised by the documentary that we're going to see. We went to the theater. We went to our yippy-dippy part of town (laughs) to the bell court because we're members there. See, now I sound like a yuppie. We're members of the bell court. Whatever. We also got that membership because I wanted a silent auction fundraiser. Yeah. Also, we're very charitable people. (laughs) But anyway, what I'm, I'm saying is we love the bell court. It's actually the yeah. bell. We were talking about this. It's like the bell cord is like the cheapest thing to do over there. It is. It's it's actually cheaper to go to the bell cord, even as a non-member, than it is to go to an actual commercial movie theater. Absolutely. And we 100% support local independent movie theaters. That, yes. That show things like the movie we're, we're about to discuss. A, a friend of ours was like, you know, it'd be nice if uh, Star Wars was shown at the bell cord. I'd go no. see it. I understand where they're coming from, but Star Wars is not some rare thing. And look, this might be a controversial statement. Star Wars is not even an interesting thing. It's uh, kind of been trotted out like a lot. It's interesting that you said that. Cut this out if you want. Nope. I was going through my closet today, getting rid of clothes. 
and all three of my Star Wars shirts are in my giveaway bag. Oh, yeah? I'm just done for now. Well, you look cute in them. Well, thanks. But you look cute in most <laughs> things. There's nothing wrong with liking Star Wars. I was a child of the 80s, too. I mean, I'm still going to like Star Wars, but I'm almost a 40-year-old woman, and I feel like maybe let's put away the Star Wars t-shirts. I also know that it doesn't belong to me. Yes. New Star Wars is for the children. And you know what? I'm I'm not even against the new Star Wars. I find them entertaining. Me, too. I enjoy them. If anything, it's not even so much Star Wars I'm upset with, but the the swirling protons and neutrons of people like going around and around them you know yeah it's also kind of star wars overload right now two movies a year is at least one too many i haven't even seen solo and i wanted to be han solo when i was a 10 year old i'm just i'm just good i'll get to it yeah and i and you know what same with harry potter people think i hate harry potter i don't i know i hate people who talk about harry potter every five minutes (laughs) Only one of those movies is good. I'm never. We gonna, don't agree on which one. I'm never going to read the books, so just stop telling me to do it. <laughs> I read grown up books. I read, I read grown each up book. and comic books. I also read comic books. <laughs> You're <laughs> such a fucking hypocrite. I am a hypocrite. I read each Harry Potter when it came out. When I first heard about it, my ex girlfriend. It was like the third or fourth book was coming out, and an ex girlfriend of mine. Went to the store to get it new. Mm -hmm. I was talking a lot about it. And I was reading like The Hobbit. Yeah. And I love The Hobbit. That book anyway. The Hobbit is good. That's the only one I've read. I haven't read The Lord of the Rings. That book alone is one of the best fantasy stories ever written. I will not watch that movie though. No. See, that's another thing. I don't care. Yeah. But the book was really good. I probably would read the book again, except there's not enough time in the world to do anything. I lost my thought. Fuck it. Look. <laughs> you know what's more? We're we're very much off the cuff. We're not on a script. I've been anymore. drinking bourbon. Angela's been drinking bourbon and remodeling the basement. Yes. And I can't wait till it gets gets right. But we know what's more interesting than Star Wars, in my opinion. Documentaries. Specifically the one we're talking about, three identical strangers. This is a documentary directed by Tim Wardle. Tim Wardle. I'm assuming that's how you say his name. Um, This is a really great one. We discovered this one because there was a preview for it when we went to see Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yes. And immediately we were like, we have to see this. We have to do this. Because honestly, it sort of skirts against our original idea for the show of doing true crime. Because to me, as you will see, by the time we get to the end of this story, there was some sketchy actions taking place now i'm sure i'll cover this in the intro to this episode there's always a spoiler alert element to the documenteers if you haven't seen the documentary obviously we go through it and we criticize it or laugh at it or praise it because this movie is so new this is definitely spoiler alert yeah please go watch this movie you're really up on this movie's dick i like this movie okay i mean i do too but i have some problems with it it's not perfect But I would say watch the movie before you listen to this podcast. I love that criticism that when people talk about movies, they're like, well, it wasn't perfect. No, okay. Look, if a movie's perfect, open with that. (laughs) Well, I think we have in the past. When a movie's really great, we say it immediately. We'll talk about my issues, (laughs) specifically about the movie, not my other issues that I may have. You know, Ant-Man and the Wasp, it wasn't perfect. (laughs) 
I know what you're saying. I just mean you acted like I thought it was so great and to quote you was up on its dick, but I, I it's not that great, but I just think that now if you're, you're concerned at all, no, I'm just saying like, if you are concerned at all about the spoilers, like this is a really good one that takes a left turn that you don't see coming. There had been, if you watch the preview for this, there is a suggestion that there's more than meets the eye to the story, mm-hmm. but they don't go into what that is at all until you see the movie. And, and we're spitballing here. We're not, like I said, we're not going off notes. So there could be a lot that we miss. So there shouldn't be, hopefully there will still be something for you if you still want to go see it. But if you're thinking about seeing this movie and you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, go see it. Yeah. Go check it out. It will be an entertaining evening. Yeah. So let's jump in. We meet a guy. His name is Bobby, right? Bobby. Robert Shafran. Great name. (laughs) Great name. Robert Shafran. He starts talking about how he had always known he was adopted. He... Went to college. He drove this old car. Was it his car was called the old bitch? Yeah, he called it the old bitch. He talked about how he'd been adopted by this family. It was like an upper class family. His dad was a doctor. He'd always known he was adopted. And him heading off to college was like kind of a big deal because he's like going to go out on his own. He goes to the Catskills to Sullivan Community College. And everybody is like, hey, Eddie, what's up, Eddie? Girls are kissing him. Guys are high-fiving him. Everybody's like, we're so glad you decided to come back to school. He's a freshman. Everyone's loving this dude, and he's never stepped foot on this community college campus before. Yeah, so then this guy runs to his room. He, like, checks into his dorm, and almost as soon as he closes the door, there's, like, a knock. And this overly excited guy shows up and is like, he knew Eddie wasn't at school, so he's like, who the fuck is this guy pretending to be my best friend? Mm. And then the guy turns around and he sees Bobby's face and he's like, you have a twin. Like there was no doubt in his mind for even half a second that this was not, that they were not twins. He was like, when were you born? What's your birthday? He was born on July 12th, 1961. Mm -hmm. He said what hospital he was born in. They call Eddie on the phone. This is the part. Okay. This is my biggest problem with this whole thing is that. I'm okay with a little bit of reenactments because they don't really show faces. You know, it's sort of like yeah. shadow reenactments and like just to set the mood and the tone and give you the feel of the time because a lot of this story takes place in the early si- in the um, 60s. The biggest problem I had was when they reenact this phone call and they reenact this phone call between Bobby and Eddie. Bobby's telling the story. They've got this like warbled recorded voice that's supposed to be Eddie's voice, but Bobby's still moving his mouth? It's hard to describe, but I didn't like it. It's like that awful documentary that was made about uh, Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love where they're speaking over recordings. It's not good. Soaked in bleach? Yeah, that was terrible. That was a terrible... Don't spoil if we ever do that one, that we hate that movie. I mean... <laughs> that is some awful reenactments. Though. Listen, reenactments are really hard to do good. I thought they did an okay job in this one. The reenactments, yes. The phone call was the only thing that upset me. I noticed the reenactments right off the bat, but I felt like they were done in a way where they weren't as noticeable as the movie went on. It was a lot more subtle. It was. And they used as much video as they could and photographs where they could. Mm -hmm. They just didn't have a whole lot of video because, again, these boys were born in 1961. This is 1980. 1980, they're 19 years old when they are finally talking to each other. Bobby and the friend drive to Eddie's house to try to meet him. He said he opened the door and looked at his face, and he said it was like looking at himself. Describe the photo of these boys looking at each other. Well, they're, they're, it's a profile 
of uh, Bobby and Eddie. They're facing each other. They've got these big grins. They grin like motherfuckers all throughout this movie. They've got these big infectious smiles. Yeah. They've got their couple of Jewish kids with some Jewish froze. And it looks like they're looking in a Jewish mirror, basically. They're very cute. They're so charismatic. And they just are looking at each other like like they're looking at the greatest thing they've ever seen in their lives. I could imagine. I know. Because obviously that's happening to them. And they know right then that they're going to tell this story for the rest of their fucking lives. Yeah. There had to be something. They don't talk about it necessarily. I mean, they said they felt like the same person. They felt like they were looking at each other. The friend says it was like they were more clones of each other than brothers. There had to be something physical that happened to them when they were in the same space. Like they moved they sat in chairs the same. They dressed alike. Now, that might have been a little gimmicky, but they also said they liked the same things, so that's cool. But so, yes, yeah, so they're like, okay, we're twins. We have twin. We're twins. So they take this to a newspaper man. Yes. And the newspaper man's like, holy shit, what a story. First, he has to verify that this is true. And, oh, shit, this is true. And then the story gets out. It makes the circuit. Suddenly, someone calls. And his name is David. Yeah, David Kelman. And yeah, he called and he was like, I'm looking at myself. I think I'm the third. And yes, David, it turns out that they were triplets separated at birth. Yeah. And they and they all ver- val- verified each other based on birthday. The adoption agency that they went through, what Louise, was that called? Louise Wiseman. Louise, oh, sorry, Louise Wise. Louise Wise. And, and the fact that they all look exactly the fuck alike. So much alike minuscule differences one might have been a little heavier than another one's hair was a little bit shorter but like they looked the same and one's penis was slightly chubbier (laughs) you're so dumb you are really dumb for real i don't know about that we've gone through the part of the movie that is pretty much like the trailer if you haven't seen this movie this is the part that will be told to you yeah and at this point because they've talked about it we've met david present day now some of the parents you can imagine as they all, they've all gotten together, now they're all inseparable. And they're all hanging out and they're going on talk shows left and right. Donnie, this is Donahue days. So we're in the, the 80s. This movie, a lot of this movie takes place from the, the end of the 70s. They meet like in 1980. The, the mid 90s. There's one little tiny story that one of their aunts tells. I can't remember which aunt this is. Maybe Bobby's. But she talks about the first time they all three were together. Like when David came to meet, it was at her house. And she said they went from meeting each other for the first time to the three of them rolling around on the floor like puppies. Yeah. You just knew and it was like magic. They just were instantaneously so comfortable with each other and just loved each other so much. Now, you have to ask yourself, and the parents involved in this did ask this question. Why? Yeah. Why is this like this? Why were these children, these triplets, separated? Right, because they were like, if we'd known... Maybe we wouldn't have split them up. Like, they could have known each other through their lives. Like, they could have been together. But just why? Why did we never know? Why were we never told? So they all go together. They have a, they set up a meeting with the Louise Wise. The parents, yes. The parents do. The boys, you know what? At this point, the boys have an apartment together. And they are just, like, fucking and doing drugs and going to nightclubs and having a big old time in the city. Yeah, they end up opening up, like, a restaurant. They do later, like... In, like, 1988, they open up a restaurant. And, so not right away. And they had a New York bachelor pad that you know smelled like cum. Oh, God. Yeah. So much like cum. Uh, drinking and drugging all the time. But these the parents go to Louise Wise and set up a meeting, and they look at them, and they say, why? 
Why? And they're like, well, we thought it would be easier on them because we didn't think anyone we could adopt out like triplets. Like that'd be too much for potential adopted parents. And this this is a Jewish adoption agency that takes in Jewish kids and puts them into other Jewish families. And so the parents aren't really satisfied with that answer, but that's the answer they got. So they walk out. And one of the dads is like, I forgot my umbrella. Yeah. Walks back in. They've busted out the champagne and they're fucking toasting each other. Yeah, they're celebrating. He said it was like as though they had just gotten out of life in prison or something. They're celebrating something. And and even But he didn't say anything. And even knowing even having seen the the whole movie, I have to ask, what the fuck were they celebrating about? Because they don't want to be sued, which later does happen. But they thought they thought, oh, we got one over on these dumbasses. They're never gonna they're gonna they're satisfied. They're just gonna go on their merry way. And maybe they would have if that like doubt hadn't been put in this father's mind. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they were all the same agency. The agency thought they got away with it. They kind of try to just go on with their lives for a while, for sure, because they don't know what really to do. So in this time, they're, you know, rock and rolling around New York, and they're in a movie. I, think I remember watching this movie when this it was movie, new. Desperately Seeking Susan. Yeah, and they show the clip of it in the movie, and it's so cute. And actually, I remember that. I vaguely remember that, too. Because I was kind of obsessed with Madonna when I was little, and she walks past them on the street and they all kind of like check her out well it came out in 85 i she definitely had put out some records then yeah it was 1985 when that happened ron tomatoes gives it an 85 percent. that seems kind of high i think there's tigers in that movie so yeah as bobby mentioned by 1998 they opened the triplets romanian steakhouse and they're all like getting married around this time so I, everybody's got wives i didn't catch that it was a romanian state so i looked that up and that's what it actually said in an la times article so i did do a teeny weeny bit of research only because i wanted to make sure we got the last names right and a few of these dates and things and it said triplets romanian steakhouse in the article but it just had their picture it was like all three of their photos it said triplets on the sign do you know that that restaurant was open till 2000 Really? Yeah. So it stayed open for a while. But as I mentioned, they were all kind of getting married. They were learning how to like kind of navigate the world. And they started having some disagreements about different things. They felt like they all weren't putting in the same weight at the restaurant. And there were some arguments. And uh, just a few years after it opened, Bobby actually left. Their tagline when they go on these game, sh- or game shows, when they go on these talk shows was that they like the same women. And smoke they the same smoke the same cigarettes. And what was the third one? There were like three things they always said. They like the same colors. Yeah. But those are such surface things. Yeah. And they're also looking for these things in each other. Yeah. They said it was like falling in love with someone. You're only looking for the similarities and the good things. And then when you try to start living day to day, the differences start coming out. Around this time, while they're working the restaurants, another pair of twins, these two young women, start appearing on talk shows about how they were separated at birth. And guess what adoption agency they went through? Louise Wise. Louise Wise. So a journalist. His name was Lawrence Wright. He starts doing some research into this because this is a wild story. You got multiple twins separated at birth through the same uh, adoption agency. What they discovered was that they were separated on purpose. Who was the doctor who was heading up this study? It was Dr. Peter Neubauer, and he had an organization called the Child Development Center. Now, Dr. Peter Neubauer, he's a Holocaust survivor, for one. So keep that in mind as he's deciding to play with human life. 
in terms of this weird experimentation. He wants to see what would happen if you separate twins and how they develop throughout their life. And we meet a couple of people in this movie who were involved in it. We meet a lady who was there at the ground floor. Uh, she didn't stay very long. And another gentleman who did like six months worth of research and would actually go, would go to one twin's house, do some studies on them. And not only would they be doing studies of the kids, they'd be doing the studies of the parents because here's the thing with the triplets. And everyone thought this was just a fascinating thing. Bobby, I believe, came from a more well-to-do place. Uh, Eddie, more of a middle-class kind of environment. David, more of a blue-collar, lower-middle-class working man kind of environment. Yeah. That was done on purpose. This agency made it a point to put each twin in different environments to see how they would be raised and how their parents would react to them. I thought it was really weird when they start saying that they were going into these children's houses and like doing tests on them and videoing them and all of this. And then they didn't explain it right away, but they finally explained that what they told the parents was that every child they adopted within this certain time period was going to be part of a study, but just simply about adopted children. So just to see how well adopted children throughout their lives did in their adoptive homes. That's an important note. The The parents were told something completely different to justify these doctors coming in and yeah. studying their children. Which is doubly why you're mad. It's like, you lied to me. You continued to come into my home. You took my child away from his brothers. And there's also this matter of judgment by the people doing the study. These more lesser working class people, how do they raise... Like, we were talking about class divisions and class structures I know. at the top of this show. Kind of an accident, but it does kind of connect to this movie as they were purposely set up in these little categories. And this guy, Neubauer, right? Yes. He's trying to, now I'll, I'll get into the so-called science of this bullshit. It's bullshit science, what they're trying to do. They're, it's not a broad study here. You're talking mm -hmm. about, they're all Jewish, so they have that singular cultural background. Right? Yes. It's not like you're going like, Let's see what happens uh, with uh, these black kids or these like Irish kids mm -hmm. or, or uh, like these uh, uh, Spanish speaking children. The only thing that they accomplished was like, what happens when you separate Jewish twins? That was the study that they did. Well, and one thing that should be noted is all of what we're saying that they were doing and the studies that they were trying to do. Since the filming, the boys have gotten some of the information about this. But at the time of the filming, like there was no information. And the, the reason is because Dr. Peter knew at Bauer before he passed away, he had all of his research findings locked and sealed until 2065 or 66. And the people who are the custodians of these documents is the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services. They used to have a different name. Back in 1947, yes. when they were founding or backing the Child Development Center of Dr. Neubauer. So this was very, they don't even really talk about that that much, but this is definitely like a study of Jewish children. Yeah. It's not a study that you can just apply to humanity here. No. All of humanity. These are specific environments. There's nothing broad about this. If anything, this is lazy science. And it's unnecessarily cruel. I mean, it'd probably be unnecessarily cruel even if you did diversify your study pool. Well, but, and the thing is, is if they found something that was so groundbreaking, it was going to help humanity and be such a big deal to everyone. 
Why was it never published? Yeah. Because they knew, they had to know on some level that what they were doing would not be socially accepted. They tried to say at one point, one of them tried to say, I can't remember if it was the, the woman or the man who was involved. You had to think about how psychology was completely different in the 1960s. Yeah. That no one would have thought twice that it would hurt a child to be separated from his brothers, but it definitely hurt these children. Like they started looking back once they knew that this was a thing that was done on purpose to them, that they were part of a triplets. They started looking back at like behavior they had when they were babies. These babies used to beat their heads against the sides of their cribs, beat their heads against the walls, cry for hours at a time. They were having separation anxiety. They were together for six months and mm. then pulled apart. Yeah. Just so Mr. Neubauer could uh, just run some tests on him. Oh, and we also mentioned those twin girls. Yeah. It wasn't just the triplets. It wasn't just the twin girls. What did they say? It was like over 60 kids. Oh, at, I don't remember that. At least. There was at least over 60 kids involved. I don't remember that number, but that's insanity. And yeah, there's people now still today who don't know. And these are kids... Luis Wise, the agency, this is the New York area. So like Long Island, uh, upstate New York, New Jersey, these are the areas that these kids are being shuffled around and being adopted out. To. Yeah. And this this is now a defunct agency. This agency does not exist anymore. But at the time when the guys were getting this information originally, they tried to go to different lawyers around town. They tried to sue them or take them to court, something they wanted some kind of well they wanted the information they wanted to see the papers but they also wanted an answer like truly as to what was going on and they wanted more information and every law firm they went to would be so excited about the case like yes we're going to help you and then within a matter of days every one of them would come back with a response of there's a conflict of interest we can't help you because this was such a renowned agency that people all over the city were trying to adopt from them mm -hmm. And so they couldn't, they just kept hitting these barriers. But yeah, there's people still who don't know. It's later revealed in this documentary that these these boys who grew up to be men. Right. I keep calling them boys. But that they, they have their own psychological problems, their own versions of depression. Mm -hmm. uh, Bobby, you know, it, it was interesting to point out when they, when they opened up that restaurant, Bobby was the one to he left. said he wanted out. Bobby comes from a more affluent family. His dad was like a, a doctor or a lawyer or something. And the mother was also had like a really good job, mm -hmm. I believe. I think he was a lawyer, maybe. He wasn't that like get your hands dirty, roll up your sleeves kind of guy. Right. And these other two, his brothers, they had no problem like diving in and making sure like a restaurant works. But he he wasn't as hinged on that as the other two were. Because they come from a more working class kind of background. Yeah, his aunt also made a really good point about that, too, because she said, you know, they didn't grow up together. So while they felt like they were very similar, their differences were starting to come out. And because they didn't know each other from children, they didn't have the ability to compromise with each other. They didn't know how to navigate an argument with each other. And everything was so much more intense than it maybe had to be because they didn't know how to communicate on that level. I could imagine that that would be such a mind fuck. You got someone who looks just like you. You never knew them up until you were like 20. And then when there when there's a blatant friction, when there's a disagreement, it's got to be flabbergasting that something that looks exactly like you is disagreeing with you mm -hmm. when you spent all your life thinking that there was only one person that looked like you. Yeah. Why wouldn't they think the same thing you did? It'd be like, 
in their brain, it's like I'm arguing in a mirror. It's like, no, you're not. Why is the mirror arguing back at me? I could imagine that that was a real headache for them to deal with. And then this is, I think, also around the time where, so it really upset Eddie like really, really bad that Bobby left the restaurant. It's about a, a third of the way into this movie. I realize they're they're not talking to Eddie. Yeah, no, Eddie's Eddie's not in this movie, and this is when we find out that Eddie had some some issues with depression. Um, but we also find out at this point that a couple of the boys, when they were in high school, had psychiatric care. I don't know if it was Eddie's first time, but around now, like in the '90s, he was put in. A mental hospital for a little while got back out they thought everything was okay but it was something he struggled with forever and the boys had kind of separated at this point eddie and david were close but bobby was not there and it was always just never really good and they talk about eddie didn't necessarily have as bobby mentioned the greatest relationship with his father his dad was more like i think it was david right who had the David had a working class family but his dad was the Bubala you're right so they called David's dad Bubala he was like the glue that held the boys together and after Bubala died you know they look alike I they look alike I know but after Bubala died that was also something that hit the triplets really hard he actually died I think right before Bobby left the restaurant Mm -hmm. I think he was kind of the one who was their biggest cheerleader they called him their glue yeah. Like he, it was always important to him that they were all together. But yeah, Eddie was always real big on family. I actually caught something in the research I did that wasn't in the movie. Eddie moved multiple times to live physically closer to his brothers once they moved out from each other. Like he would move. He actually, when he, um, when Eddie died, he lived across the street from David. And it was a day where, and I know I just said that he died, but obviously he's not there. Um, they were at the restaurant together. David was in the back in the kitchen. Eddie was supposed to be out front. And then all of a sudden... David realized that Eddie wasn't there and he called his wife who was at home and said, can you look across the street as Eddie's car at the house? And she's like, yeah, it's there. Do you want me to go over? And he's like, yeah, go over. And then she called him back and she was like, you need to come home right now. And Eddie, um, Eddie had shot himself. Now, Eddie was manic depressive. Yeah. But he also was, he, he seemed to be the most invested in making this new relationship with his long lost brother's work. Right. He would have uh, a, a lot of a big, big highs and deep lows mm-hmm. to everyone on the outside. He seemed like to be the most fun loving and accommodating person that you could ever know. Even his wife said it was hard to know how he was really feeling. He was very charismatic. They all were. Yeah. But he was particularly charismatic and instrumental in making sure everyone was having a good time. Yeah. But it was it was a lot for him. I mean, he was mentally ill. You know, they talk at this point about the boy's mother, and they do mention this earlier in the film, that after they all got together, they did meet her. They met her at her, like, kind of local watering hole in New York. And she so she was still around as well. And she basically told them, you know, she was young. She got pregnant. It was basically like got pregnant on prom night. She couldn't believe she was going to have triplets. It wasn't in the cards for her to be a mom right then. So she gave these boys up for adoption. They said they could almost tell that she'd never forgiven herself for it. And she seemed to be someone who maybe drank a lot. And But at the time, they were like, okay, it was nice to meet you. Thank you for telling us. We don't really need you because we have families. And I understand that completely. Um, And she wasn't looking to be a mother all of a sudden of three 20-year-old boys, you know? Um, So they didn't really get to know her, but they kind of asked them at this point when they start talking about Eddie and what happened to him, they asked the guys, you know, do you think your mother could have had mental illness? At first, 
David's kind of like, no, no, I mean, I don't think she had that big of problems. And then, but as he talks, he goes, well, you know, maybe they were, maybe they were a lot more severe than we knew. Yeah. People don't often put their kids up for adoption because everything's rosy and and great. Yeah. We actually, and then at, at this point they cut back to the twins, the girls, and they're talking to one of them and she's talking about how she did research into uh, what was going on, like trying to find her birth mother. I can't remember exactly the story, but there was mental illness there as well. Their, their birth mother had schizophrenia. Right. Then there's a question of, I think at this point we cut back to Lawrence Wright, the author, and it's like, was he studying particularly twins and triplets whose parents had mental illness, separating them to see, again, is it nature or nurture? But you're also, it's not even just, is it nature or nurture for like their personalities? It's also like their mental illness or potential mental illness. I want to mention real quick before I forget. They also, all these boys had sisters that were two years older than them. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the other, well, that's the other thing. Cause you said this earlier, they were talking about like, they were also looking at the parents and then they said, well, they put them in houses that parented different ways. Well, how do you know that? How do you know they parent in different ways? Because they had already adopted little girls to these families. The fact that they each had a sister that was two years older than each of them was also by the design Mm -hmm. of this study. Yes, because they knew these people. They knew how they parented. They'd done home visits, I'm sure, to see what was up with them and how those kids were doing before they placed these boys. It's pretty fucking mind-blowing. And in the beginning of the movie, the first half of the movie, everyone's talking to death about the similarities. And then as we go on and we hear about Eddie's story, and we know that there were, like, differences. No one is exactly the same. Right. And ultimately, there is something to be said about the study of what is nature or nurture, and it's fucking both. Yeah. It's both. I kind of know a little something about the nature and nurture yes. side of things. My father passed away when I was very small, like um, no more than a year, I I believe. And I didn't meet his side of the family until I was 30. Mm -hmm. On my 30th birthday, did I meet his sisters? (laughs) They're they're interesting folk, no doubt about it. (laughs) We love them. They're from Massachusetts, right? And uh, my my cousin had found me on Facebook because I had Facebook then. I'm not on it now. We love her too. But we do have a Facebook fan page, Documenteers. You can check that out. Yeah, yeah. And um, and there were there were certain things there, like strawberry birthmarks. Yeah. Certain features. I, I I look more like my mother's side of the family, but there were some certain small features that I do have. Also, do. I shake my leg like crazy. And apparently, probably- all my aunts also do that as well. But there were like mannerisms. Also, my, <laughs> I've always been like a goof ass my whole life, right? Uh-huh. And, but my mother's side of the family, not that playful. No, right? no. <laughs> But my father's side of the family, a lot more prone to laugh and to cut up and shit like that. So there's things like that. And you all like blue cheese. Yeah, all all like blue (laughs) cheese and shellfish. So there is these aspects. But I'm also a boy that grew up in the South. I do have, I was raised with my grandmother. She was like a stubborn bitch. I mean that in a good way. She'll never (laughs) listen to this. And I can kind of be like a stubborn bitch sometimes myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there is certain, val- there are things that in my rural Southern upbringing that I have, but there are differences as well. It literally is 50-50 and it both means a lot. And I mean, if there's any genetic illnesses, those are just going to be there, but you're not really that doomed to your fate. No, I think agreed. 
And I think the thing that can be important, and again, I was in love with Bobby's aunt. And she said this too. She said she thought it was more nurture. And I understand what she was saying because in that aspect, in this case with these boys, nurture was what developed their coping skills. The different ways that they were able to deal with it when they had issues. Because they all had issues. The ones who had a stronger foundation made it through. Yeah. And the one who didn't, didn't. Mm -hmm. And that's heartbreaking. That in a different situation... It didn't have to turn out this way. It's important to note, too, that, like, I was considered very, very boisterous kid by the standards of my mother's side of the family. <laughs> but by I your go father's to Massachusetts, side. By the father's side, I'm actually probably would be relatively tame. I kind of hit right the middle yeah. in that regard. I also have an aunt, Linda. She'll never listen to this. <laughs> you can see that she projects her brother onto me. A oh, lot. sure. Because she sees him in you. My father. And I know she, I'm sure there are some things that do remind me, but it seems like I'm supposed to be manifesting her brother to her all the time. And I got to be honest, it makes me uncomfortable. Sure. Because I'm sure we do have some traits that are similar, but I don't have this. I'm not hung up on not having my dad. It was just something that happened. Right. And I don't want to be, I'm his offspring, I understand that, but I'm but I'm my own person. Absolutely. And you can tell me anything you want about him, but I can't verify that, you know. And he passed away, you know. It's not like it's not like a he just ran away kind of thing. But I did connect to this movie quite a bit on that level because in the nature nurture side of that, there is something in my life that I can kind of I can kind of understand. I don't have a story like this. This is a wild fucking story. Yeah. But in a, in some ways, I kind of understood that nature nurture side of things. Man, is there is there anything we've forgotten? Nah, I think we're good. I do too. That feels like a good this stopping place. This shit is sealed up in Yale. It's well, up in Hartford, right? Yes, but when the film's over, yeah. there is a a small sentence that says that since the filming... They did release some of the information to the guys. Um, When I was looking it up today, I think it was like 10,000 pages, but so much of it is redacted and the names are not there. For the sake of the people that are involved in this study that, that haven't been exposed. Yeah. And the woman who was involved, she poses the question or she says, you know, some people think it's not fair. To not tell them. But then she says, but then you have to ask yourself, would it be worse to know? And I understand where she's coming from, but at the same time, it's their right to know. So I think they should be told. I did think it was interesting. The twins, the girls who found out about it, it it was probably because they looked into it and it was probably because it was after the triplets. But they had a letter from Louise Wise that said you were part of a study. Oh, really? You were a twin, or maybe not a study, but at least said you were a twin. Here is your twin's information or something. Like, it connected them somehow. Like, they had a document. Now, that may be because they asked, though. Like, if I were to go and say, am I one, they'd have to tell me if I was or not, maybe. I don't know. So, they've gotten some information, but nothing that really gives them hard answers. And again, it's going to be 2066, and she also makes the point of whatever they found... For some reason, it's like he is trying to protect these people from knowing that they were part of this. And in order to do that, he's made sure that it's locked up until after they're dead. Why is there any authority whatsoever on the ceiling of this? If this was done by this Neubauer guy, there's nothing 
I mean, and this is based on my understanding of science and how people, you know, people turn science into their own little play thing. When science is a very rigid thing, we just went over how his study does not have a broad enough uh, test range to really account for humanity. I think because of the damage that it could do. And the Jewish Board of Family and Children's Services has the ability to let it all in the light, but they won't. It, the only thing I can liken it to is like case files, how you can lock case files and not let anyone see them for so many years. And it's always the case is always so that everyone involved is passed. There can't be something worse than what we know. You would not you would hope there's not anything worse than what we already know in there. But that's the only thing I can think is that they're just trying to keep these people from finding out that they were part of this study. And if they wait until they're all dead, they'll never know. This guy's a hack. But the guy who did this study's a fucking hack. And if it's under that authority He was or, playing God. Yeah. He was playing God. And it's not even a legit study. Whatever that data says sealed up, it's not valid. No, the only thing that matters are the names. Yeah. And no one's ever going to get a good enough why to satisfy them. The truth, people deserve to know the truth. As someone who did have information on his family repressed from him as he was growing up, I can say it's not going to benefit anybody to hold back on that. You need to share that information because the truth deserves to be heard, no matter if it's ugly or not. Yep. And, the, and if this idea that it could totally disaffect people, well, I mean... If people are easily disaffected, it's because of what you've done to them. Yes. And I, the real reason why they don't want this information out is because they'll get the shit suit out of them. Well, more they're still trying to do that. More than what's happening right now. And if yeah. they let these names out, then you'll have 60 plus people taking you for all you're worth. Mm -hmm. Because that's the only way you can hurt anybody in this country is you go after their wallet. And they deserve to lose fucking everything. I agree. Well, that's good. Angela, we don't rate in a star rating scale. We sure the fuck don't. That's for um that's Losers, for that's for posers. <laughs> that's for shady adoption agencies <laughs> that separate kids for their own like knowledge and fun and amusement. And they then, were just profiting. And that agency was just profiting. Yeah. We rate under the Herzog rating scale, the scale that keeps twins together. Oh, wouldn't you love to somehow have Herzog interview Neubauer. I could see I know Her Neubauer's totally dead, but like I could see Herzog standing in a Jewish cemetery over his grave <laughs> just asking him questions. Why? With, with some monologue about the worms. Nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. That, I, that sounds great. I think I want to see that. Oh, man. But anyway, uh, you're going to give this movie one through five Herzogs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give this movie one through five Herzogs. We'll, we'll combine them like a twin unification after 19 years for best out of 10 Herzogs. Angela, what do you think of this movie? I thought it was really good. I am so glad we watched it. I had really... I wanted to see it for a long time. I was excited. I was not let down. There were only a few, again, like I said, technical things that I didn't enjoy, but I thought that the reenactments were done extraordinarily well. I loved the way, I think there's only one time where the film 
director speaks and it's because he's going to play the guys a video. He brings them together at the end and plays them a video. And so he talks to them and asks them how they feel about it. It's when they learned the bit about the sisters and how their parents had obviously been studied. And it was very effective. I, I really thought it was interesting the way that he would show clips twice through the movie. He would show them one time with us thinking it was just like a happy brother's reunion story. And then he would show the same clips later when we were learning about what had actually happened to them and how different they truly really were. And it gave it like a whole other feel, like when you knew more. It's almost like you didn't have to go back and watch it again because he showed it to you again to look at it in a different light. And I kind of enjoyed that kind of... The way that he kind of did that. The editing was really good. I'm going to give it a 4.5. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was really good. And I think it's telling it a very important story that there's not enough information about on the internet. Internet? Why couldn't I find more information about this? This documentary is the definitive story on this story. Yeah, it's super important. Well, I kind of was, at the top, was kind of trying to downplay it a little bit. Because you were very excited to talk about this in the beginning. Yeah. And as we kept talking about it and I started telling some personal, how I connected personally to it, I was like, oh, yeah, I did. I really did get something out of this movie quite a bit. I got to give props to Tim Wardle, who this is the first of a first of his movies that I've seen. He did one in 2016 called One Killer Punch. It appears to be about a man who punched someone and that person died. And another one uh, called Lifers, which uh, he did for Channel 4. He's a British director. You kind of forgot. what you, I remember when you do hear his voice, you kind of forgot. Like, oh, of course, there's someone behind the camera. Yeah. And that's good. That's actually really good. You know, we love Herzog because he's so present. But for the most part, when you forget that someone is directing a movie... That's a sign that it's actually a very well-executed documentary. One thing I could say about this movie, maybe negative, is that it gets a little redundant sometimes. It's like, yeah, we get it. You wear the same uh, white jeans and uh, and all that shit. Yeah. I Like I said, I like the repeat coming back to it. But as I'm thinking about it, I feel like we saw the same clip maybe more than twice. Probably, yeah. We saw a clip of them on every 80s talk show that ever was. Mm. We saw about at least 10 seconds of that. So there was like some redundancies. But then it gets into the, the this weird study. There's like a legit conspiracy here. Yeah. And it's super interesting. This is a story that, that just sounds like someone made it up. But it's not. It's absolutely true. And this yeah. really happened. This study that probably permanently disaffected these poor kids that grew into fine, fine young men. I don't know. I'm babbling. I'm going to give this movie, I think my slightly better than average, but not amazing score, new score is 3.75. So I'm going to give it a 3.75. Okay. Or do I want to give it a four? I almost gave it a four. Gosh. It's hard. This is a really hard one because even you talking about it more, I felt like justified my score more. Yeah. But I almost said four because I actually said the words, it sort of keeps you from needing to watch it again. Yeah. Which is, I think, maybe a negative. Yeah, I don't know if I'll watch know. it again. And they but, do. I, but I may not watch it again because I'll never forget this story. That's true. You don't need to because it's so insane. But I would totally recommend people watch this movie. 1,000% watch this movie. You know, you stick with your 4.5. I think I'll stick with my 3.75. Okay, that's respectable. And that brings it to a nice score. Of uh, math. 8.25. 8.25 out of 10 Hertzogs. That's a great score. 
Yes. Tim, Tim Wardle, that's a fine score for your Good job, Tim. We should check out his other stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this one killer punch. It's, that's the uh, that's the prequel to uh, Con Air, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the, Isn't that the backstory? <laughs> Is that he punched yeah. a guy and killed him? Yeah, it came out 20 years after <laughs> Con Air. That's <laughs> the <a> prequel. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, oh, man. You can follow us on social media at Documenteers. Uh, shoot us an email at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. Give us recommendations. Yeah, we love recommendations. And also... About movies, not other things, though. And also, everyone knows someone who likes documentaries. Throw this podcast out to them. Be like, you like documentaries? This podcast, they just talk about documentaries, and they rate yeah. them. And you could say spoiler alert, because we'll, we'll spoil shit. Also, and this is extremely important, go on to iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Either one. There's, they mean the same thing. Give us five stars and leave us a brief review. You could say anything in the review. This helps people find us. This is better than you walking up to us and handing us a $5 bill, which I'll take. <laughs> but we don't really need your money right now. You know, we want, we need you to help us get some exposure. And if everyone who listens to this show on a weekly basis gave us five stars and a brief review on iTunes, could be a whole nother ball game. And you could be like, yo, I was in this shit on the ground floor before all of America was essing on their D's. <laughs> you want to be cool, don't you? Give us five stars and a brief review on iTunes slash Apple Podcast. That really helps us out. You have no idea. Please do so. We really appreciate it. And that's this movie, Three Identical Strangers by Tim Wardle, 8.25 Herzog Movie. Don't separate children. Keep the children together. Yeah. And keep on docking. Who farted? <laughs> oh, shit. I just hit my head on the microphone. <laughs>